Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We, we chose this day some, um, some weeks ago, and we picked this day for the dedication, and I, I just... I think afterward now, after this, this past week of uh, dear ones being called home that we've celebrated, uh, some of the other things that have gone on, uh, this, this was God's timing. This is, this is good to have this today, to bring this full circle, huh? Of what, what, what we are all about as a family of God, but most importantly, what He is about. Amen. And thank you so much. I'd like to ask you to open the Bibles for a few moments this morning to... The Epistle to the Philippians, and we are going to finish up chapter 2 this morning of this epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. When you last wrote a letter, whether it was actually writing a letter or sending an email that was more than just like a, you know, a note or a response, but when you actually wrote to somebody, what are the kind of things you include in a personal letter? What type of things do you write? What type of things do you highlight? What is it about? And we've been talking about this as we've studied this book together, that this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi that he helped uh, found under his ministry. And the church has flourished and grown and become a very important part of Paul's life and Paul's ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this church was one that uh, Paul grew very close to and he loved these people and they loved him. And so this, we've talked about this letter bears all those marks of that friendship type Letter. I want you to think about that today. If you wrote a letter to a friend or a loved one that you hadn't seen for a while, what would you write? What type of things would you highlight and would you write in that letter? Before we look at this passage, let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we do trust that our hearts will be open to your word. We would hear it. Most importantly, it would impact how we live, how we walk with you. To that end, we give you these next few moments. Be with our children as they continue to learn, to worship, and to study together. Uh, bless them and bless their time around your word as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a unique portion of this letter in that this this portion from verses 19 to the end of chapter 2 are really focused around Paul's discussions about two individuals and what these two individuals have to do with the church at Philippi that he is writing to. The two individuals, if you notice, you may have a heading in your Bible, would say Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy and Epaphroditus. So we have two people that we want to look at this morning that, that, that Paul includes in this epistle. We, we, we believe the, the Bible is God's inspired word. We believe that all the Bible is inspired. We believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures, and therefore we believe that everything that God has in these scriptures, he wanted us to have. And so he wants us to understand this, and why this section is here, and why this might be important. Apostle Paul says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. But then you go down to verse 25, he says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. So just want to make a note here that most of the, the commentaries also have noted that he kind of does this in reverse order. It seems that Epaphroditus is going first. It seems more urgent, the language he uses about this. It seems more urgent that Epaphroditus get back to Philippi. We believe Paul is in Rome under house arrest. 
uh, in Rome. Philippi is in uh, northern Macedonia over toward uh, where you would cross over into Turkey. And uh, he's writing to them, but it appears he's going to send Epaphroditus first and then Timothy. But he addresses Timothy first. He says, I hope to send in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered again when I receive news about you. For I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now we know as we read the scriptures that, uh, of course, we have the epistles to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, pastoral epistles. Uh, Timothy became a leader, a pastor, one of those who would carry on Paul's ministry when he was gone, the last book that Paul writes, Second Timothy, he writes to Timothy. It's interesting also, in the original language here, the word that's used where our, our Bible says, I have no one else like-minded. Uh, it's not really so much the word mind, it's actually the word soul. You could literally translate this, I have no one else. He is like-souled. He is like, we could say my soulmate, he's like me. He's like my soul. We, we share the same soul. We share the same heart. We share the same uh, uh, feelings and, and desires. We are like soul. We share the same soul. I have no one else like him, he says. And he takes it. And I want you to notice that Timothy takes a genuine interest in the people at Philippi. He takes a real interest in you. Philippians the reason I want to send him is he is really interested in you. He is really interested in what's happening in your church. He's really interested in your welfare and your growth and your strength as Christians. He's like me. We share the same soul. We are like soul. And he has a genuine interest in what is happening with you. And in fact, he says that everyone else looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, that's kind of a sweeping statement. We know that there are others like Epaphroditus and Titus and Silas and Mark and others that Paul mentions um, that, he, that he works with, Aquila and Priscilla and Phoebe and the other people he talks about in Romans and so on. We know there are many others. But in this particular case, he highlights Timothy as opposed to others who, uh, who for some reason do not have an interest in these people in Philippi. Maybe he's referring to those he's talked about already who have been preaching the gospel to cause him trouble, but they're still preaching the gospel. He, he highlights Timothy in relationship to others who don't have this genuine interest in their welfare because he says, unfortunately, they look out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy puts the Lord Jesus Christ first. That's why he is like sold with Paul. He puts Christ first in his life. He's a young man. We know that in, uh, in, the, in the epistles to Timothy, it appears that he could be timid. And, they, and they, he tells him, put, put him at ease. Put him at ease. Because, um, and, and, and he has some illnesses and so forth. But he has put the interest of Jesus Christ first. He's like the apostles. He's like the apostles. He is the next generation. And he is like the apostles. And notice he says in verse 22, he also says, but you know, Philippians, Timothy has proved himself. He has, he has proved himself by how he lives and how he acts and what he thinks and what he does. He's proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. You know, it's the focus here on the gospel ministry. We talked about last week that Paul mentions the, the lady in 
uh, in Rome, in the book of Romans, who was like a mother to him. We talked about the importance that these familial terms, brother, sister, mother, father, are used in the New Testament of God's people for a reason. That's what we talk about, the family of Christ. We talk about brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because the Bible uses these terms that we are related, we are family. And he says, Timothy has become like a son to me. We don't know about Paul's family. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he had children. We're just not told. But we are told here that Timothy is like a son to him, a spiritual son, if you will. He is like a son to me, Philippians. He's so important to me. And so you think of the, of, here, here's, here's Paul in prison. Here's Paul in prison in Rome. Even if it's under house arrest, he's still under arrest. He still is a prisoner. Here's the one person who is like sold to him, if you will. He's like a son to him, and yet he is willing to have him leave and go to Philippi to minister to them. Because it's more important, the work of the gospel right now in Philippi, that Timothy do this. Paul is willing to pay that price. To give up the person who's probably the most important in his life right now for his own personal needs, but they both put Christ first. They are like sold in Jesus Christ. I mentioned in your family here, Derek, I, I, I knew all four of your, your grandparents well, of course. And your, your dad, I always remember your, your, when I interned here at, at Berean, uh, as a young person, that the Dan's father worked with our little children in children's church all the time. Uh, like my father-in-law. And there weren't many men who, who wanted to work with the children. It was always seeming more, of course, the women that worked with the children. But we had some men who just found their place serving God with children. We see these traditions. We see this ministry. We see this, 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 this idea of putting Christ first and, and, and serving humbly and quietly and, and being part of that work of Christ. So this is Timothy. He's like sold with Paul. He puts their interest first. He really has a genuine, and that's an important word. He's not artificial. This is a genuine interest in the Philippians. He really is concerned about them. And he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's proved himself. And Paul says, I'm sending him to you. Philippians, I'm going to send him to you. And why? Go back to where we started in verse 19. From Paul's end of it, he wants to be cheered when he hears the report, when Timothy comes back, and it'll cheer Paul's heart. This is a difficult time for Paul. He's, he's in prison. He's not, he would like to be traveling, but he's a, and he doesn't know what the future holds. He thinks he's going to be let free, and we believe he was and traveled again. And then came back and was rearrested and martyred for his leadership and faith and ministry of Jesus Christ. But he wants to be cheered up by hearing this good report from the east, from, from Philippi, when Timothy goes there and comes back to him and brings this report. And so he says in verse 24, I'm confident myself in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to send Timothy. But before I do, before I do that, and the, and the language here kind of lends itself this way, you'll notice that it says here, but I think it is necessary, this is really important, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And here's this familial term again. My brother. My brother, Epaphroditus. They are, they are sons and they are brothers. Just as we are here. We are 
spiritual fathers and mothers and children, and we are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I think it's necessary, this is really important, that I send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Now notice how he describes him. We have four descriptions of Epaphroditus that we are given here. First of all, Epaphroditus is Paul's brother. He's Paul's kin. He's Paul's family in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, he is a fellow worker, one who, who works the harvest, if you will, one who's willing to go out and do the work, the hard work, to work with Paul. Second, thirdly, he is a fellow soldier. He's a fellow soldier. He's one who is involved in the battle. He's one who's involved in the fight. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier with the Lord, with the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses that language in Ephesians as he writes Ephesians from the same context of, of Roman imprisonment, prisoner, that we are to stand firm in the fight, the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare against evil and against darkness. And to stand firm in the Lord. And Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. One who is soldiering with Paul in this battle, if you will, of standing up against evil and darkness and sin. He's a fellow soldier. I'm so uh, privileged, as I've, I've reflected this past week, if we had these wonderful testimonies as we gathered for these memorial services. And hear these wonderful stories. And, and the thing that impressed us so much is, is someone prayed in our class this morning. As we remembered Steve and, and Norma. And, and to hear other people talk about their context and their neighborhood and their workplace and their, in their band, as Norma was, the Shoreline Band and Steve and his workplace and the drivers that were here. And to, and to hear people talk about, to, to hear from them that the things we talk about doing, in, that they did these things, that they lived this way, they, they soldiered on. And, and they did these things with, with, with those who were involved in their lives, not here just church, but, but in their lives and in, in their walk and every, everywhere they went. And this idea of, of a fellow worker soldiering on, if you will, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a privilege to be a part of such a family, huh? What a privilege to be part of such a family. Our dear brother Harold Perkheiser, um, what a dear brother. And we've known him, for, I've known him since I was a kid. And, and what a testimony Harold has had in, a, in our presence, right? And, and, and some of the disabilities that Harold has had, and yet he has soldiered on and served the Lord. And nothing ever stopped Harold from, from, from being part of what God had for him to do, to be a part of this company. And this is the kind of relationships they have. And then finally, he says, he's not only a fellow, a brother, a worker, a soldier, he is also your messenger. That's the, that's the idea of apostle, one who is sent. And the reason he says, I'm sending back Epaphroditus to you is because you sent him to me. He is your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. And we know from this context of Philippians, and then at the very end, the very last phrase in this passage, at the end of chapter 2, to make up for the help you could not give me. That doesn't mean that they weren't willing to, but it means somebody had to transport these gifts that the Philippians gathered, these monetary gifts, and bring them to Rome to help Paul. And Epaphroditus was the messenger, the sent one, because in the Roman system, as prisoners, the Romans didn't provide for you. Your family, your loved ones, or somebody had to provide for you. And if, and if Paul wanted to have a place where he could rent as a house rest, 
if he wanted food and clothing, if he wanted to be able to write these epistles, if he wanted writing materials and paper, vellum and so forth, was very expensive. And somebody had to provide that. Paul couldn't do it. He couldn't work right now. Paul wasn't a rich man. And yet these people are providing for Paul's needs. And it's Epaphroditus, who is the messenger and the apostle, the sent one, who brought these gifts to Paul that this church, this is not a wealthy church. He tells us, out of your poverty. Later on, he talks about the churches in Macedonia, out of their poverty. They, They were not rich. They were poor people, average people. But they gave generously to help Paul do his ministry. And Epaphroditus is the apostle who brought those gifts. And look what it says here about this. It's very, very interesting. He says, verse 26, Epaphroditus longs for all of you, just like Timothy has a genuine concern. Epaphroditus longs for all of you. But he was distressed because he heard that you heard he was ill. In fact, he was so ill, Paul says, indeed he was ill, and he almost died. And we're not given any more detail about that. What happened? Where did this happen? The only thing that some of the commentators surmise is that maybe on his trip from Philippi to Rome, he took ill to the point of he should have died. But he soldiered on. He didn't go back. He continued on. Whatever happened, he was so ill, he should have died. He should have died. But he stuck with he, he For some reason, he made it for one, well, for one reason. It tells us very clearly, God had mercy on him. God intervened in this particular case. God intervened. And, you know, this is an era when to be, to be a neighbor with death is what the word uses here. He was next to death. Um, you know, it was not, it was not the medical science there is today, of course. And God intervened. Somehow God intervened and saved Epaphroditus. We don't know, we're not given the details, but God intervened. And he says, you heard about this. And he was concerned that you heard about how sick he was, and he almost died, but I want you to know, God intervened and he spared him. He had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, Paul. Why? Look at it. Paul says, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. We know what that means, right? This type of sorrow. And, and for this, in this particular case, and, and Paul had many loved ones who, who God did call home. And he shared that sorrow. And he knew all about that. But in this particular case, God intervened and, and, and spared him. And Paul says, he spared me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him. So when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. I'm sending him back to you, Philippians. I want you to see him in the flesh. I want you to see. He's concerned that you're worried about him. And I want you to see him, that God spared him. And I want you to have joy, and I want I want to be less anxious. about Because I feel for you people. I'm sorry you feel this way, and we're, we're separated, and, I, and I, I want this to happen in person, in real life. So I'm sending him back to you, which would be dangerous. If, he, if he's been through this once and he has, he's having to go back, but I'm sending him, and I want you to welcome him, verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost 
died for the work of Christ. Why? Risking his life to make up for the help you could not give. And that's why we maybe speculate the risk was making this journey. Maybe he was sick when he started, but he wanted to make this journey to Paul and he risked his life and he almost died, but God spared him and I'm sending him back to you. Now, in closing, let me ask you, what is this about? (laughs) Right? I mean, we're studying the book of Philippians. We have the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. They are filled with powerful doctrine, powerful truth. And here we got this whole section about people coming and going. I mean, it would be awfully easy to just sort of read over this and say, okay, let's get on to what really is important here in Philippians. You know, we're going to read, we're going to study pretty soon the passages that I read. We read this last week. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, King James, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. What deep truth. Why this? Why take a whole section here to tell us about Epaphroditus and Timothy traveling back and forth? You know, one of the commentaries that I've been using, Gordon Fee, I thought he had a wonderful conclusion to this section. I wanted to read this to you. I don't like to read verbatim, but it's hard to follow sometimes. But I just want to say, I thought this was really, really well put. A passage like this ought to serve as a constant reminder to all of us, scholar, pastor, student of the Bible, that the New Testament was written in the context of real people in a very real world. Biblical texts are too often the scholar's playground and the believer's rule book without adequate appreciation for the truly human nature of these texts. It's written by one who expressed his theology at a very personal and practical level. Paul lived as a believer in a world surrounded by friends, and those friends brought him joy. And the untimely death of such friends would have been for him immeasurable grief. Here the sense of deep relief... And the experience of God's mercy is worth noting that Epaphroditus' illness was itself the direct result of his risking his life for the sake of the work of Christ is also worth noting, especially in a culture, maybe for us, where taking risks is primarily related to business ventures rather to the genuinely personal risks related to one's love for Christ and for his people. I really thought, you know, he, he really hit this here. I thought he really made a just a solid application. You read this passage, it's easy to kind of read through, okay, let's get on to the doctrine of Philippians. And say, wait a minute, this is the doctrine of Philippians, right? This is the doctrine. What are we talking about? Relationships, being cheered, genuine interest, care for one's needs, longing for all other people distressed, sparing sorrow upon sorrow of going through the loss of loved ones, being glad, being less anxious, welcoming people, honoring people. Isn't this what it's all about? Isn't that the point of all this? The point of it all is not just to study the doctrines, so we have all of our doctrines, but that we live in community. 
and that these things really impact. And if we and we do this in community, as a, as a church, as a family of God, what we've celebrated this morning, we do this as a family of Christ, because we are family. And we take this and we share it with our world. And we demonstrate what it means to be part of a family of faith by having these interactions and these deep longings and genuine interests and care for others and understanding what sorrow means and what joy means and what it means to be part of God's Word, friends. We talk about the local church and this local community. And we talk about the universal church. And we are part of a bigger picture. And part uh, A week ago Saturday, several here uh, ran and participated with World Concerns Ministry in a fundraiser walk and run to raise money for human trafficking as Christians to help stop this. We've received messages this week from from Africa, from, from the Mongols in, in Africa and the work they're doing with these young teenage girls and the, and the way they're being taken advantage of and the work they're doing. We've read about the works in Southeast Asia. We're praying for Bethany and the work in Cambodia. Friends, we, we are part of something so big and we should have this same genuine concern for one another and for our brothers and sisters around the world. These people had, not all these people had met Paul. Many have come to Christ since Paul has been there. But they are connected. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friend. This is a really important part of the book of Philippians. Because right here in the middle of this study, all of a sudden these things all come together. What it really means to be a part of God's love, mercy, His family, and His work. This is an important section of Philippians. And I think if we really come to understand that and appreciate that, as we continue through these last two chapters and fold all of this back into it. I want to just ask you this morning, my guess is, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're part of the family of God, God has put somebody on your heart this week. Maybe a newsletter. Maybe an email. Maybe just has come to you out of the clear blue of someone you're thinking of, someone that's been part of your life. Maybe it's someone that you've just read about that works somewhere else. Friends, if God puts that on your heart to participate, to be a part of God's work, stop. Pray. Write that note. Send that encouragement. This is what it means to be part of God's family and to demonstrate to the world what it means to have genuine love, compassion, and genuine concern for others. I hope this week you remember this picture of this dear family up here. And you remember to pray not only for this little guy, but for all these children and young people that we have an opportunity to minister to and to serve week in and week out. You'll pray for those we've mentioned this morning. You'll be attentive to our missionary needs. You'll listen. You'll pray. You'll give. You'll give God thanks. You'll reach out. We're praying for Yoli's nephew from our class that many of us haven't met. But we're praying for his needs, for his cancer his cancer situation right now. These are the kind of things, that's what it means to be a family of God. Friends, I give thanks for this passage in Philippians. And open the door to see into the heart of what it means to be like sold with an apostle who have been called to bring God's message to the Gentile world. Let's be like sold, like Timothy. Let's close our service, Gary, at our final hymn.
to stand and join together in worship and sing to our Lord as we leave this place today. Amen. What a beautiful word. Mercy, beautiful word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and to give you peace. Amen. Leave this place in the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ.